wrote it. I just the more okay. times you review it, the more times you want to tweak it a little bit. That's good. I don't mind. Don't worry. I'm not going to grade them tonight. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, let's see. Somebody's here in the dark. I can't see who you are. Who's that? Let's see. Ah. Anthony, you know? No, I, I, I just realized. Oh, that. it's Lucas. Oh. I thought I, I thought it was you. Got to turn on your lights. <laughs> no, I got a heavy light behind me. Yeah, I don't have very good light in this my office at home, but I think you can see me okay, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I have a lamp. I have two lamps. I don't have an overhead light in here. Um, I didn't think I'd ever have to be working from home. <laughs> I'm not at home, and, and I'm always looking for the right spot here to my wife's job. You I look like you're in the basement. I am. I am oh, in a, okay. In a four-wheel shelter. Oh, looks like it. yeah, look at <laughs> that. I see. Bunker. Is it St. Saint, Saint Joseph's? <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm going back to mute. Okay. I'm, I'm just going through attendance here, so that's okay. You have time. I'm here. Yep, I see. I see your grateful dead. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. And I, I see your name as well. Okay. Oh, I love Father Bruno. Okay, good. 
Obviously, I'll never be happy because I'm disappointed. But I know, I know. You and several others. Yeah, I can uh, you know, but um, I actually spoke to him today, Chris. Thank and, you. you know, he'll be, yeah. it'll be great. It'll I be great. Back, I figured you'd figure all that out, so I didn't bother to ask. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's been quite a busy week figuring everything out. <laughs> I, I, uh, I lost another friend this week to cancer, so it was just like oh. a really long week. It's a really long week. Indeed, indeed. It's a crazy time. All right, let's see. What time is it? All right, we still have a minute. Up, oh, John, I see you. Very good. Uh, Vince is not feeling well. Uh, I'm going to try to record. Hi, Doctor. Hi, Victoria. Good to see you. Thank you. Good to see you too. Good. We'll be back in one second. Yeah, that's good. We're not starting yet. I'm waiting for some people. Uh, let's see. Hi, Rock. How are you? Hey, how you doing? Good. I just saw your email pop up. <laughs> Bill, how are you? Hey, how are you? Good. <laughs> see you. Good. Are you on Long Island or in Brooklyn tonight? Uh, today I'm in Long Island. Thank you. All right. Very good. Tomorrow, Me too. Oh, I learned my lesson, so tomorrow I will be in Brooklyn. Okay. There you go. Thanks. How about you? You're home. You're in I'm, your... Yes, I am. Good. Yeah. Good. So is Dan, Dan Condon here? Not yet. All right. Uh, let's see. Uh, Stephen Nyer. Hi, Dr. Schnauer. How are you? You're here? Here I am, yes. Okay. I don't. Oh, there you are. I see you. Oh, Good. Yeah. I can't see everybody all at once when that's I share yeah. screen. But that's good. That's yeah. why I'm calling out. Uh, Daniel Cornell. Not yet, right? Uh, and as I said, Vince is not feeling well, so we're waiting for Dan, two Daniels, two out of three Daniels. All right. Daniel Castro. I did not. You did not? I will always respond and say I've received your assignment. When did you send it, Daniel? I send it. I send it this morning. Then I uh, guess I send it to, to myself. Then, uh, then when I came back from work, I send it again. But I think I send it send it to to your regular email. To Donna dot at archny.org? Yeah. Um, I did not get it. No. No. Try it again uh, after class. Uh, okay. Forward it to me. Right. I, um, just so you know, everybody, when I get your papers, you know, within, if I'm on the computer, which I am all day, I will tell you. And those of you who sent it to me, uh, you know that I said I've, I've received your assignment is generally 
the message that I give you. So if you don't hear from me, you know, within a couple of hours, you know I didn't get it. We have, we have till midnight, Sonny, right? You do. You have till midnight. <laughs> I, a, I just I like to reread it over and over again. Yeah, so I, no, I get it. That's all right. It's, you take all the time. You might as well. Dr. Rashawn? Yes? This is Steve. I'm glad Daniel asked about this because uh, we're, are, are we supposed to email it to you or I uploaded it into the assignments? Oh, uh, yeah. Um, you know what the problem is? It, when you do that, it comes in a PDF. And I needed a Word document in order to grade it. Okay, so I'll just email just, it to just you. Just email it to me. Perfect. Okay. Thank, thank you for you. telling me. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, and thanks to Dan for asking that. Yeah. Hi, Dan. Hi. Yes, I see you, Daniel. How are you? Good, good, good. Dan right. texted Dr. Eschenauer. He's having a little trouble with his computer, but he's trying to get on. That's oh, Dan. thank you. Yes, very good. Okay, yeah, he had trouble last week as well. Okay, that's all right. All right, so just as a general announcement, when you send me an assignment, you send it to my email, not don't upload it to Populate, uh, because it goes into a PDF and I can't grade a PDF the way I want to grade it with track changes. Uh, that's a little glitch of Populate we're not happy with. But anyway, um, and the other thing is, I will always respond to you telling you that I received it. Um, if you don't hear from me, that means I didn't get it, okay? Uh, so like um, uh, Daniel Castro emailed it to me, I didn't get it, he's going to resend it. Uh, so we try it. And, um, you know, just make sure you have my... Uh, email correct. It's on your syllabus, but it's Donna Dot Eschenauer. Make sure you spell Eschenauer correctly <laughs> at archny.org. Um, you know, uh, Daniel Castro, I want to say that we had uh, some issues in the past. Uh, it kind of reminds me that I might have had issues in the past getting emails from you. Um, so just try it again, and if I don't hear from you by tomorrow morning, I will let you know, okay? All right, thank you. You're welcome. All right, just so you know, I'm going to be recording uh, for my own sake and uh, also for um, someone who's ill in the class. All right, so... Um, all right. So are there any questions about the assignment process? I know some of you uh, emailed me questions in general, and that's why I put those samples up there, just to give you an idea of integration. But that doesn't mean that your paper has to look exactly like those. Um, but I just wanted, because uh, some of you, several of you emailed me saying that you weren't quite sure. And even when uh, some people submitted, they weren't quite sure. Um, I basically, last week, if you remember, I said, just be yourself. And I'm sure it's going to be okay. 
all right? And it's the first one. I'll give you feedback, and you will get your pay. I guarantee, unless, you know, something drastic happens this week, you will have it back before uh, next class. Uh, that's my general pattern, a week turnaround. Uh, and again, is unless uh, something drastic happens, uh, but you'll, you'll get it. Uh, so this way, if you have any questions, you can let me know, all right? So uh, we're going to move on. Uh, is, did Daniel get on yet or not yet? Uh, Dan Condon. Okay, he, he um, that's fine. So what I want to begin with is a short reflection of you as prayer. Um, so I'm sure you all had a busy day, and uh, as did I. And um, we're very busy in the academic office. Um, our acting academic dean is Father Matthew Ernest. And Dean Hamill Cregan and I are working diligently to bring him up to speed um, with the procedures in the academic office. So we'll all be well for all of our students, I will guarantee. Um, so as we gather together this evening, I just ask you to try to forget about everything you left behind and everything you'll go back to and be present to the class to be present to the material, to be engaged uh, in this uh, now fourth session. So by way of prayer and reflection, I'm going to um, just read some words from Pope Francis from the Joy of the Gospel, and it's paragraph 24, if you want to make note of it for later. And so we gather together in Thanksgiving for the day, for our time together, especially this evening. And we pray the words of Pope Francis. The church which goes forth is a community of missionary disciples who take the first step, who are involved and supportive, who bear fruit and rejoice. And evangelizing community knows that the Lord has taken the initiative. He has loved us first, and therefore we can move forward boldly, take the initiative, go out to others, seek those who have fallen away, stand at the crossroads and welcome the outcasts. Such a community has an endless desire to show mercy the fruit of its own experience of the power of the Father's infinite mercy. Let us try a little harder to take the first step and become involved. Amen. Amen. Uh, I chose that paragraph. You know, you're all reading this document, but I specifically chose that just by way of reflection to begin the class because of Pope Francis's words that which tell us that we go forth as a, a community of missionary disciples. And tonight, we are going to talk about discipleship in relationship to the practice of ministry. All right? So that, that's our plan. And 
up on the slide you see um, we're going to talk about the church as a community of disciples. And you'll see when I get to the next slide, I'm specifically going to reference uh, Cardinal Avery Dulles, um, which um, those of you who have already taken ecclesiology, you have probably heard of him and his models of the church. If not, I'm going to introduce you to it. Um, the roots of discipleship, where it comes from, certainly rooted in New Testament. So we'll look at that. Uh, and then um, the connection of vocation and discipleship as you're reading uh, in uh, your other text, the Cahalan um, uh, book, and then ministry and discipleship. Everything that we're doing in this class connects us to ministry because this is a course primarily about ministry. So whatever the topic is, as we narrow down, remember we started broad, uh, everything is going to be connected to the practice of ministry. I'd like to put that phrase in there, and that's the phrase that uh, Kathleen Callan's book uses, because ministry is an activity, it's an action, it's something that we do. So just uh, to take a step back for a moment uh, to last week, um, just to set the tone, the stage for tonight. Uh, we have looked at ministry as an activity done on behalf of the parish community. And you remember last week we looked at Omira and Hennenberg, uh, their theologies of ministry. And they refer to ministry as an activity done on behalf of the community, in other words, it's an activity done in the name of the church. When I, in other words, when I minister in a parish, I'm not ministering on behalf of myself, but I'm, I'm working in the name of the church. I'm ministering, I'm teaching in the name of the church. I'm, I'm not, that's why I always say in class, if it's my opinion, I'll let you know. Because my job is to, because I look at my job as the educational ministry of the church. You know, education in the church is a ministry. And so I offer my opinion occasionally, not often, but I teach in the name of the church. And I've taken an oath of fidelity to do that um, according to the magisterium. Um, so the point is that all ministry is done in the name of the church. Um, it's related to vocation, remember, in its broadest and inclusive sense. And the whole idea of vocation, uh, we talked about is God calls, we respond. And an important point that we've made and will continue to make and look at further next week is that ministry is part of baptized life. We also looked at ministry within the context of the ideal parish setting. Remember, we looked at a vision of a relational model of ministry, specifically what Ed Hattenberg proposes, those circles around the pastor uh, versus the pyramid model of, you know, the pastor at the head uh, down. It's more that a pastor leads from the center. Or, or any leader is, of ministry leads from the center. 
Remember last week we also talked about theological reflection as an important process for the minister uh, personally, specifically personally. Uh, and that's the purpose really of you doing these integration papers. So you get in the habit of doing theological reflection uh, because I think that once you can do it for yourself, uh, you could um, learn how to do this on a parish level. For example, case studies could be brought to um, specific ministries, to the leader, you know, and in turn, you look at specific conflicts or issues or problems, but you can learn to look at it theologically in how we respond to it and then how we eventually try to solve the issue. So theological reflection is important, first of all, for our own spiritual health, and it can certainly help in facilitation of all ministries, okay? So for example, when Pope Francis says, uh, and this is, uh, I think it's paragraph 25 in the Joy of the Gospel, but he says, mere administration can no longer be enough. Throughout the world, let us be permanently in a state of mission. Um, that's uh, one of my favorite um, things, that as ministers, whether clergy or non-clergy, um, you know, um, some of you, God willing, will be ordained uh, deacons um, next year. But no matter what, anyone involved in ministry, we have to move beyond mere administration. Administration is very important in the church, but we have to move beyond that, so says uh, Pope Francis. For the sake of our church and the new evangelization, this has to be a reality for those ministering in the parish. And I really do... Um, uh, believe uh, and strongly um, uh, reinforce the idea of theological reflection on every level. But it needs to start with each one of us individually, all right? And then we can do it um, for, uh, for a group in the parish setting. Does that make sense? I hope this is all reviewed from last week. Um, so that being said, what we did last week, um, in order to fully understand this, as pastoral ministers, we need to fully understand discipleship in relationship to ministry. And that's what we're going to look at tonight, as you can see on the slide. And that's uh, the outline of what I hope to accomplish with you tonight. All right, you good? You with me? Good. I love that. Thumbs up. All right. So, um, as I mentioned before, I'm going to refer to Cardinal Avery Dulles, his book, Models of the Church, but the expanded edition. There are two editions of this book. Um, in 2002, he provides some insight in this revised edition uh, for this whole idea of discipleship. And um, in his first edition in 1974, 
that's an addition that I used when I studied ecclesiology way back, oh, 1988 or 89, I think, when I studied it uh, formally. But Dulles provided us with the idea of models for a renewed vision of ecclesiology. In other words, for renewed vision of our understanding of the church. And in his first edition of his book, Models of the Church, he presented us with five models for our understanding. And they're here in the bullet points in black. So he, first of all, he presented um, the church's institution. Of, in other words, a visual structure. And he referred to it, and I quote, a human society. This is still what the church is, but the prevalent model from the late Middle Ages to the middle of the 20th century. All right. So basically what he's saying, the church still is an institution, but from the late Middle Ages to the middle of the 20th century, it was the predominant model that um, the people viewed church as an institution, period, all right? So then he presents us with this beautiful idea, which was not really a new idea, uh, as I'll, I'll refer to in a moment. And I think I might have referred to it last week. I don't remember. I know I did in my Tuesday morning class, so forgive me. Sometimes I get confused of who I told this to, but it doesn't matter because we're going to go through it. The church as mystical communion, uh, meaning uh, what he calls a communion of grace. A communion is a community, all right? Um, and this model is seen in Lumen Gentium, the dogmatic constitution on the church from the Second Vatican Council. Um, and regarding this particular model of mystical communion, Dulles writes, a fellowship of men with God and with one another. Very important, that, that idea that we we're in relationship with God in the church, but very importantly, we're in relationship with each other. Images of the body of Christ and the people of God um, are images of the early church that were long neglected in Catholic theology but they're revitalized in Lumen Gentium. But I also want to note, um, and this uh, I mentioned it before, I'm positive I did, that it was not new with the Second Vatican Council. We, we sometimes get that notion, but um, it goes back actually to Pius XII in his document, uh, Mediator Dei, I know you haven't taken liturgy yet, but when you do, I don't think anybody here took liturgy yet, or the intro to liturgy, I'm not sure, uh, but I don't think most of you did. But when you do, you will hear of and learn about uh, Pius XII's document, Mediat for Dei, that was encyclical on liturgy. But he, in that document, what's important for us just to make the connections in relationship that this was not new with the Second Vatican Council, he defines the church as the mystical body of Christ. 
All right. So if you remember I said that for a hundred years things were building up and leading to the reforms of the Second Vatican Council. All right. That's that's the point I want to make. Um, but here the point is is that uh, Dulles is introducing us to this next model, uh, grow moving from uh, just the sole notion of church as an institution to church as a body, a communion of people, okay? And then briefly, I just really wanted to introduce you to this, to make a point when we get to the end. He also refers to church as sacrament. And we also see this in Lumen Gentium because the church is an event of grace. Um, a sign to the world, in other words. We know that sacraments are signs. And this, again, you will study uh, further when you study liturgy uh, regarding uh, sacramental theology, all right? But um, by her actions, uh, most especially in the Eucharist, the church, the body of Christ, the people of God are a sign or a sacrament to the world, all right? Um, next, he talks about the church's herald, and herald means uh, to proclaim. So the church is charged with proclaiming and spreading the gospel, is what Dulles is saying. And then finally, he talks about the church as servant, and we also we see this in the other uh, the pastoral. Um, um, document on the church, um, Gaudium et Spes, that I mentioned briefly a couple of weeks ago. And the whole idea here is the church exists for others. Um, Dulles, in these five models, in his original edition of his book of 1974, was trying to show that after the Second Vatican Council, especially in regard to Lumen Gentium, that no one model was sufficient, all right, to understand the richness of the church, um, its reality and its self-understanding. That church, more than one thing, it's, he's, he's telling us that it is institution, but it's more than that. It's a community, it's a sacrament, it's, it um, spreads the gospel and it exists for others. So that basically was what he did, uh, Cardinal Dulles did in 1974. Um, in 1970, in 2002 rather, he expands on this um, and he introduces us to another model. And that's in the red, the bullet uh, point in red, the church, a community of disciples. And, and this is important for our subject tonight. And this is what he says. Um, let's see, I think I have it on a slide. Yes, I have it on a slide here. On page 197 in this book, he says, for fuller treatment of the necessary qualifications for pastoral leadership, it will be helpful to examine the meaning of discipleship. So you see, he's making the connection here that um, understanding the church as a community of disciples is very important to the practice of ministry because basically he felt that this model 
expanded on the uh, model of the mystical communion, the communi uh, the community, um, and at the same time builds bridges to the other models. That there's an interplay with these models. All right. Um, so this is this is really good background material to understand um, the practice of ministry in relationship to discipleship. So on the next slide, um, I'm also quoting here from uh, Cardinal Avery Dulles. He says, this model illuminates the institution and sacramental aspects of the church. You see, again, he's, he's referring to this interplay among all of these models and grounds the functions of evangelization and service that are central to the herald and servant models. The notion of community of disciples is thus a broadly inclusive one. I, this is very rich. And if this were a class in ecclesiology, we could, we could spend hours just talking about Cardinal Dulles's five, now six models of the church. But I, want, I just wanted to introduce them to you and um, just for the sake of connecting this with our subject matter for tonight, okay? So what I've given you here is enough. Certainly, if you're interested in the book, you know, you could read the whole book for yourself. Uh, but I think it's very interesting that in the expanded edition, he adds this model of community of disciples. And this is very relevant to the work of Pope Francis, uh, what he calls, you know, missionary discipleship uh, throughout his writings. Um, in fact, in the, my diocese where I live, in the Diocese of Rockville Center, we, um, we used to have uh, the um, Pastoral Formation Institute. I used to be an instructor in it years ago. And it was to train lay leaders. Uh, bishop Barris, uh, who is now the Bishop of Rockville Center, is very attuned to the work of Pope Francis. And he had the name of this institute changed to School for Missionary Discipleship. Uh, and it goes along with what we are um, talking about tonight. So this is uh, really language of the church of, of today and uh, the church uh, with the vision of Pope Francis. And that's uh, why, as I explained to you uh, during our first session, why I chose the joy of the gospel as one of our required texts so that we would be um, attuned to ministering in, this, in the church um, uh, uh, regarding the vision of Pope Francis, the vicar of Christ on earth uh, for in our time. All right, you're good? Mm -hmm. Everybody's good? All right, I see thumbs up all around. Very good. Um, okay, so um, also, we also see reference to church members as disciples in other documents. Um, uh, we see it in other documents of the Second Vatican Council, but also 
Hi, Dan. Apologize on that. I had a problem with the uh, internet. That's okay. Um, in the United States, uh, uh, bishops have um, issued a couple of documents that I have here for you, for your awareness. Disciples called to witness the new evangelization 2012. Uh, to be just be familiar, number one, that it exists. And you could probably Google it and get it uh, online. I think it is available. Then there's another one in 2002, the first one, Go and Make Disciples, a national plan for Catholic evangelization in the United States. So you can see that this whole idea of forming disciples is very relevant and important to ministry. And remember, in this course, I'm introducing you to documents for, for your use in your ministry, in your work, whatever that might be, um, uh, not necessarily to um, read every one of them now, but um, I had mentioned to you that as ministers in the church, uh, future deacons, um, future lay ecclesial ministers, it's very important to be aware that these documents exist. Uh, one, and this is my opinion, <laughs> one of the problems uh, with people in the church, clergy and non-clergy, is that they're not aware of these documents. And I just think that it's, it's important to be aware of them and to know uh, we may not have the opportunity. I try to study them all as they come out but uh, I'm a little behind. I haven't even looked at Pope Francis's most recent one, but I will, I'll make it a point uh, just to be familiar with it. But I, I really do try and I feel it's an obligation on my part. But I also, in line with this, um, by way of commentary, that's on your uh, recommended reading, your bibliography, uh, and we've mentioned it before, Sherry Waddell's book, Forming Intentional Disciples. Her major theme is that people need to make a conscious choice to follow Christ, to be disciples, all right? It has to, we're all disciples by virtue of our baptism, right? We know that, I think we know that, but we, every day we have to, renew that and make it a conscious choice that we're going to be disciples. And, and I'm going to expand on what that means uh, in tonight's session as well. Um, so as pastoral ministers, we need to understand what discipleship means in our own life. And only then will, be, will we be able to form disciples. Because when it all comes down to it, as pastoral ministers, that's our task to form disciples, all right? That's what we want to do, to help people who are disciples by virtue of their baptism, to catechize them, to form them uh, in the best way possible. And the only way to do that is to understand that and to integrate that into our life. And that's one of the aims of this course, that we can do that, that we can integrate this idea of discipleship into our everyday 
life. Okay, it's pretty rich, um, I think. I and we we need to be conscious of it. Um, be intentional, as Sherry Weidel uh, says. So um, let's look at uh, the roots of uh, discipleship, which, of course, uh, just as we looked at the roots of ministry, we can find in Scripture. And here specifically, we'll go, uh, we're looking at the New Testament, um, especially in the Acts of the Apostles. All right, which describes the earliest years of the church. In the early church, all Christian believers were referred to as disciples. Okay, and the church is called a community of disciples um, in Acts six one to seven, and you have that on your notes there, so you can go to that. Um, citation and you can read the whole thing for yourself but I again I think it's important to know that this isn't a modern invention that it has deep roots in sacred scripture um, in addition each gospel writer gives nuance to the term and addresses the communities they are writing um, for so um, on the next two slides, I'm going to give you a quote from, again, I'm using Cardinal Avery Dulles, um, because he's making reference to these roots of discipleship in the New Testament. So this is what he says, all right? And notice this, even for your own writing, this is an aside. Uh, Cardinal Avery Dulles has died. He wrote this uh, in 2002 and but I, I said it in the present and so when you write and you're citing an author it's always in the present tense Cardinal Avery Dulles writes not he wrote because these words are living and active today so in academic writing we always use the present tense uh, even if somebody if it was a long pious the 12th writes uh, because we look at the, the, the work of scholars of, as being living and active for our time. So that's just an aside. So Cardinal Avery Dulles writes, Throughout the early centuries, membership in the church retained something of that demanding and heroic character evident in the New Testament concept of discipleship. The Christian community continued to be a contrast society, okay? Maintaining a certain critical distance from its pagan environment. You have to remember, and I think in the early church, to be a, a member of the Christian church, the church, Christianity, was going against the grain, you know? Um, at, that's somewhat true in our secular uh, society today, I think, as well. Um, all right. So then he continues. Among themselves, they practice intense mutual love, caring for the poor and the sick, the widows and the orphans, and extending hospitality and travelers. Here he's de describing what scripture, how scripture describes a disciple, um, all right? 
uh, people who existed in mutual care and love for each other, all right? And we know, I think it's in St. John's Gospel, I'm not a scripture scholar, it's probably my weakest area, but there's that phrase uh, that you will know who they are by their love for each other and their care, okay? Uh, Dulles continues, contemplating the Christian community, the Romans were allegedly moved to explain. Here it is. See how they love one another. Conscious of the demands of discipleship, the faithful were prepared for imprisonment, exile, and even death. Um, and this, uh, Adullus is referring to these rich roots that we can find throughout the New Testament. And that's just, I really just want to give you a sense of this, that this is not an invention of our modern times or modern documents, that all of the modern documents, and when I say that, I'm referring specifically to the Second Vatican Council, they have, they go back to the, the resources, they go back to ancient practice and appropriate it for the modern world, all right? That was what was going on a hundred years even before the Second Vatican Council with scholars in every field, going back to the sources. Uh, because basically, prior to that time, early 20th century, late 19th century, the sources were not available, you see? So it's, again, to make the point, the Second Vatican Council set it in motion all of these things that were building up um, for renewal and then uh, the Second Vatican Council made it reform. And now the renewal continues, but we have these beautiful resources in these documents uh, to help us to understand it better. All right, I'm giving you a lot, I realize, and I promise I'll give you a chance to talk. <laughs> because uh, I want to hear from you as well. Um, all right, uh, 7.41, okay. So now, just to go back a little bit more, the fourth century, if you remember, I'm sure you know, um, Christianity became the religion of the empire on your first bullet. But prior to that, it was illegal to be Christian. Uh, fourth century with Constantine and his uh, conversion, uh, it was popular to become Christian, all right? And a lot of things happened as a, a result of that, but it's just important to realize it now becomes the religion of the empire. But the ideal of discipleship is not lost. Um, even though there's no longer that fear of persecution, etc., um, the ideal wasn't lost. Christians still had to embrace the values and the priorities of Jesus Christ. That was the main idea of Christianity, that people would embrace everything that Jesus said and everything that he did. Uh, this is no surprise to you. You have all learned this in, in your courses. But the thing here that I want to bring up during this time, two forms of discipleship emerge. 
One is uh, the person that's engaged in ordinary life, all right? If, for example, uh, people in their families, in their job, in their government, they still, no matter what, Christianity um, helped the place in their life, and they brought it into every aspect of their life. So let me give you an example. Um, during the early church, marriage, for example, was not a sacrament. However, it was very much connected with Christian life because every aspect of people's life was connected to their Earlier times and ancient times, got married, it, it wasn't considered a sacrament, not until like the 12th century. However, it was something that they wanted to go and include prayer with, because every aspect of ordinary life was connected to the values and the priorities of Jesus Christ. So that's one form of discipleship. The other was that there were some people who chose a more radical lifestyle and fled to the desert to live a more austere life. And we would look back in the history of the church to, for example, the Desert Fathers. And in later centuries, these people were known as monks or friars. All right? So, um, but this, these two forms basically emerge early on. Okay? Um, again, here we go back to uh, Avery Dulles, um, really a great, great, wonderful priest and scholar. He actually was, I don't know if you know this, he was on the faculty at St. Joseph's Seminary at one time, he, and certainly he lived and taught at Fordham University in the Bronx, but he did teach, I understand, and I'm not sure the years, but he did uh, teach at St. Joseph's um, in Yonkers. And the other interesting, just little point of trivia, here is our new rector, uh, Bishop James Massa, uh, studied at Fordham University under Cardinal Avery Dulles. So it's kind of nice to know. There, there is a connection with us uh, and uh, Cardinal Dulles. Uh, but I'm really... Um, uh, using him a lot tonight because he makes uh, really good points. But on the point we're talking about, he tells us contemporary Catholicism, however, by no means limits discipleship to priests and vowed religious. That's important for all of us because as we said before, it comes from our baptism. He said, he continues, Vatican II in its decree on the ministry and life of priests that's one of the 16 original documents from the Second Vatican Council, reminds priests that they share the status of disciple together with all of Christ's faithful. The fact that the vast majority of Christians are laypersons does not mean that they escape the burdens of discipleship. I think that's interesting. I don't consider discipleship a burden. I consider it um, an honor. Uh, but there are responsibilities, basically, is what he is saying uh, to this. And that's what he refers to the burdens. 
uh, the responsibilities. We have rights and we have responsibilities. And I think the point of pastoral ministers here, if I could just as an aside, uh, with that whole idea that our task is to form disciples, is to help the baptized to understand their responsibilities as members of the mystical communion. In other words, nobody should be passive to anything. Everybody is called to active participation as disciples, missionary disciples. And Pope Francis really does make that point very clear. But anyway, uh, uh, Delux continues, the laity, in fact, have special responsibility to penetrate the secular sphere with the spirit of Christ and to leaven it with the yeast of the gospel. I think this is really rich language and it's in, it's it's something that I think for us, if, if we could really integrate this and understand this at a very deep uh, level in our interior, that then we will be able to help others to um, to understand this uh, and to make it really um, a part of their lives. Um, to me, there's nothing more exciting and more important than this, to help uh, others in the church to become aware, if anything else, to become aware of it. All right, makes sense? It's good? All right, I'm just, I'm scrolling through. It just dawned on me, I don't see, do I see Bob Levy? Levy, Levy, is he here? No, okay. Sorry about that. I'm just scrolling through looking at you. And Raphael, I don't see your, I see your picture. I don't see your person. All right. Uh, oh, how I wish we were in a classroom. We'd have a lot more fun. <laughs> but I'm trying my best. I use a lot of energy here with you tonight and every night um, to, to make this uh, engaging for you. But it is a, a lot more fun in the classroom. But does this um, does this have any impression on you um, at all? Anybody want to make a comment or a thought on this this rich uh, um, I don't know this rich idea of the responsibilities of discipleship? I th I think it's a very you know very. Uh telling to us in, in the respect that I don't think, well, look, I can only speak for myself. Yeah, speak, for no, speak for yourself. But, That's but great. Throughout my life, and I've been a devout Catholic all my life, and um, I never really felt or sensed or was aware of a requirement or an, ob or an obligation or a responsibility, to use the exact word, of, 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 of discipleship, of evangelization didn't think about it, really didn't think about it all that much until I was teaching in, in, in the CCD. 
But even then, not as much as I do now that I've entered into the Akinet formation several years ago. Then all of a sudden it all came together. And, and as I learned about it, and now as I'm reading a lot of this, I'm realizing that I didn't need to be in formation for the diaconate for any of this to apply to me. It applies to me by virtue of my baptismal uh, uh, foundation. And it's, uh, and it applies to everybody. It applies to all Catholics and, yeah. it's, it, and, and, and to, and, and to what you just said five minutes ago about, um, the responsibility as a disciple to gather more disciples. That's the continuation of the church. That's, um, that puts everything in context, I think. Oh, absolutely. Thank you, Paul. What do you think in relationship to what Paul said? Because it's very true. And I, I would venture to say the majority of Catholic people are not aware of this. What do you think the missing link is of why um, our, our people in our church, the average Catholic who goes, a Catholic who goes to Mass every Sunday, you know, uh, that perhaps do not realize their responsibility. What do you think the uh, missing link or links? I think it's links? I, I think it's an issue with I think it's an issue with not understanding or not knowing, not through anybody's fault, understanding scripture. Um, when they dismiss people, they from church sometimes they'll say, uh, go out and preach the gospel like Jesus did. And um, with that you are to evangelize and make people disciples. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think that it's emphasized, you know, within the Catholic Church itself, because people that just come every every week, sometimes they come because, you know, that's what they do on a Sunday morning, but they don't really look deeper into, you know, their their religion. And I can tell you just from my own, I echo Paul's you know, Paul's, all of Paul's facts, I mean, are spot on. Um, for myself, I was not part of the church for many, many, many years. Um, right. And until my education at the seminary and being in the diaconate program and starting to understand scripture and starting to understand what we are called to do as, as Catholics, um, it's only recently that I realized that that's what we are called to do. So, so that's excellent, but again, on the pastoral level, what's the missing link? Education. Uh, education, yes. Adult education is right. lacking. And if, if you look at the documents in the church on education, it says that adult education, and we'll have a whole session on this, uh, how do we, in relationship to ministry, adult education is supposed to be primary. Primary, it's not. Not even in most dioceses. Um, and that's an observation, not a judgment. But it's could, I, could I disagree with you for just one sec? Yeah, who is that? Doug, I'm going to disagree uh, only. Well, not, maybe disagree is the wrong word. Yeah, go I ahead. Think, I think the missing link is the encounter with Christ because... I don't think people without that encounter are really interested in learning. And I think that's really what the depth of the problem is. That, that is, um, that's a very good observation, but without, you see, this is the thing. You're absolutely right. 
people can are not aware of their experience of the Lord, their encounter, without the the catechesis is something that should go on in every facet of church life, not just in faith formation for children at a set hour. This is something that should take place in everything that we do. And we um, there are problems with it throughout the country, throughout the country. But very often, not all the time, people don't know how to, um, they don't know what to do with their experiences or they don't realize that it's, that it is God that they're experiencing. You, you know what I mean? You're absolutely right, but I think they go together. No, no, agree, you're right. You. Hey, Doug. Yeah, I think they go together. Hey, Doug. Um, I think it leads to the other two. You could, yeah. you could encounter God through education and you can encounter education by finding God or having the encounter. Yeah, or the other they do, but the and the other thing that goes hand in hand with the educational ministry of the church or catechesis is liturgy. Lit in the liturgy and catechesis, as we will learn further down, are wed, and they were always wed in the early church, and in documents, our most recent documents, they are wed, but in practice. In most cases, they are not. Um, so um, there's a lot of missing links here. But it's up to um, pastoral ministers to help in every way that we can for people to be aware of this, to, to close the gaps of these missing pieces. You know? Dr. That's, that's a difficult challenge. Exactly. Um, because when I was in visitation, we had our religious ed was on a Sunday. It was at nine o'clock in the morning and it would end about 10, 15 in order for the children to go to the 1030 mass. Mm -hmm. And what the parents would do, they'd come pick up their kid. They'd take the child into the church. They'd plop them in a pew and they would go out, either go to Dunkin' Donuts, go to the bakery, go to a deli, go grocery shopping in between. And they're willing to take the child, right. um, but they don't go. And now I've seen it even where I am now in St. John Visitation with the pandemic, doing um, religious ed online, doing it through Google Class or however you're doing it. Yeah. You'd send the assignment out and you could see that they opened it and they went on their merry way and then you you know you'd forward an email to a parent and say you know hey you know little johnny hasn't oh you know well they're busy they have school and they have this and they have that well mm -hmm. then why did you sign them up for religious ed like what why are they there you know so i think we have to educate i think the problem is um it's it's almost like family catechesis now i know that's a big thing yeah very much together. Yep. Um, you know, I just think that's that's going to be a big push, and I think this pandemic has put a big like bumper to it, where you know Enough. we've lost a lot of people Enough. not coming Enough, to church. You know. Yeah, but I, but I think I think the reason why we lose people not going to church is 
the same reason why we're having the issue here is nobody's been indoctrinated in their life. It's supposed to be, it's not going to happen in one hour or one day, one year. It's got to be the whole life. And we have, and we love that. It's a way of life. And, and, and from beginning, again, I went to Catholic school when growing up and you have, you know, small little snippets, but it's not part of your life. It's not made like that. And it should be. And same thing. And that's why adults don't really teach their kids the same thing because the adults don't have that. Uh, uh, indoctrination and, and, and way of life. So, hey, Dr. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's very good. That whole idea that this is a way of life. And, and it's something that, again, we live in a secular uh, society. So it's, um, it's very difficult. But, um, and then I heard somebody else had a comment, but what I wanted to say, the best and easiest way to include adult faith formation in our parishes is parents. You have to do some continuing education because if their parents doesn't know how their kids are going to know. Right. Yeah. yeah. Hey. The problem is not the kids. It's exactly. The That's yes. And, and um, yeah. Inside the kids, you have to do some continuing education and we have to put the extent. If you can be with your kids, the kids should not be there. It's not like you put the kids away, but it, it is a way for the parents. They want the kids to have the first communion. They want the kids to have the formation. They have to make some sacrifice to help the kids. Um, when I was in parish life and then Victoria, I designed a program um, called Faith First at Home. Because uh, I was really uh, determined to make this a reality on the pastoral level. And so I designed this program that we had education in for first graders only. I started small. And that for first graders coming into our program, the first graders didn't go to class, but the parents did. And basically what we did, and I had all the priests worked with me on this, uh, what we did was not to diminish the education of children, but to make it richer. And it would be, we really had the belief that it would be richer if we worked with parents and what this meant in their own life. And then for one year, we asked them, do this for one year. We will show you how to make this a way of life in your home. And we did it for many, many, many years. All the years I was there in a particular parish, we did it successfully. And parents, we just said, trust us. You know, this this will be worthwhile for you. And most parents came away saying, I went to Catholic school all my life, but I didn't know that. You see, it was so great. We even had some parents that weren't Catholic who became Catholic because of it. So um, the takeaway here is if you're in parish life or in the future you have the opportunity is to put emphasis on parent education. Victoria, what did you want to add to that? I want to say I came into the church seven years ago now. And before coming back to the Catholic Church, I did explore every other church out there. (laughs) 
and um just like we just read dr eschenhauer like the catholic church was started by love you know i i know education is foundational and i know the encounter with jesus is also like needed but i i want to say like as humans, we go towards the love, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, like, let's say before my confirmation. So I confirmed after two years of coming back to Catholic Church, so at the age of 27 or so. So at 25, when I'm going to all these Christian churches, the Baptist Church, the Pentecost Church, Evangelist, they were a nice group of people everywhere. Didn't matter where I showed up that Sunday or that Saturday night, people knew I showed up. They would know if I went back. Um, And it was a lot of people, you know, like we're talking about hundreds of people. It's not like, oh, you're one of the 20. No, like there was a lot of folks there. So I do feel like that love, it's, it's missing. It's missing there because you... Even even now, you know, I came to Mount Vernon three years ago, mm-hmm. and um, yes, it's a, it's an older community that I was used to. You know, I would go to younger things downtown and stuff. Right. Um, I'm like, 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 okay, let's say I'm a new person. They won't accept me. Got it. But I feel like they don't even know each other, or they don't even like each other, or they don't even accept each other. And I'm like, man, like that sucks. That shouldn't be. That's the almost exact opposite of how we started or how this all began. Sure, sure, yeah. And during my confirmation, I remember asking like my father, my my spiritual director. I was like, Father, like, how did this guy so messed up? Like, how is the church so messed up? <laughs> and um, he told me something that I was like, you know what, like. I can't remember what he said, but I remember what I told him. I said, I think it happened, and this was my my point here, was in that fourth century. Because I said, once it became legal, and once it was like the normal thing to do, and you no longer had to love, you no longer had to believe, you no longer had to know anything, like you were just like now part of this club or something of that nature, then it took away like its substance. So that's always been my my fall back to because you know like I, I think the father said something like you know a church is a community of people and it's like everyone is everyone has their own thing that they're working on something to that nature, you know so like, maybe we're not as open to the other because we're still working on ourselves but it didn't satisfy me enough so I just I went to the fourth century thing well so, you know Victoria you've got you're you're really on to something there and this when uh, you study the initiation rites and the history of the initiation rites prior to the fourth century when it wasn't legal when a person became a catechumen one preparing for baptism Mm -hmm. there was true conversion and Mm -hmm. there had to be but with the fourth century when it became legal they weren't becoming catholic uh christian because of a real conversion to the values and priorities of jesus it was it was more of a trend so so you're on to something there uh it's true and if you could say the same thing now that you could say a lot of people 
children are baptized because it's tradition in a family. But the whole idea here that we want to get at is we want to make this a deep reality in our parish communities. As pastoral ministers, we want to know this, we want to embrace it, and we want to give it to those that we come in contact with, whatever ministry we're involved in. And that's basically all we can do. We can't, we can't convert an entire state or diocese, but we can work with a, a few that we come in relationship uh, in our own uh, parishes, um, for sure. We can do that. If we change, if we help change one person, right. one, just one, like that, I think I shared the story of the one woman last week who said she never went to mass and she came to all of our meetings and was never judged and then by what was said and nobody knew that i didn't know this was happening but by what was said and discussed in those sessions did something for her that she goes to mass every day something happened to her by the way she was ministered to you see and we never know we never know just by being ourselves and by our own witness too, you know, that people we encounter um, in our lives, they see, just like it said here, you know, they see how we act, you know, in, uh, in our own lives. But no, you make, everybody makes such beautiful points here. It's very true. Uh, I, this I, is, go ahead. I need that? to watch something. Yeah, Lucas. Lucas, go ahead. Go I, ahead. I, I keep hearing about uh, uh, all these beautiful points, but I have not heard about the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we think that it's us that have to do the work, and it's not us. I can't even say a prayer if the Holy Spirit was not inspiring me. Good. Mm -hmm. This prayer. And, and, and when I, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I haven't been a devout uh, Catholic like Paul. I came back about some 10, 15 years ago. And one of the things that I remember from Father Ambriotics in the Bronx was that he always said that I have the same responsibility. And he was telling the same thing to about a thousand people in the, at mass that, that morning. And I got it. And, and, and I got the call. And from that moment on, I made it a point that I wanted to learn. And, and like Victoria, nobody reached out to me nobody called me but i wanted it so i reached out to them and i know it wasn't me i i know it was somebody else bigger than me working in me it's it's that's terrific and thank you for saying that it's always god's initiative it's always the the holy spirit that works in and through the church always um, one of the things as a minister myself and always teaching, whether in parish, the diocese or in our school, I can do all the preparation, you know, on a scholarly level. And the one thing that I always do in line with what he's saying, um, if we were at St. Joseph's before I come into the classroom, I'm in the chapel praying to the Holy Spirit to work through me. It's not me. You know, I do my part, but I am depending on the work of the spirit 
in me. I'm now in my home. I take some quiet time before class, put my notes aside, and and we all have to do that uh, with in whatever ministry we're involved in. Do your preparation, of course. We have to be prepared, but make prayer part of that preparation always, that the Holy Spirit will work in and through you in everything that you do, and that whoever needs to hear the message will hear it. Um, but you're absolutely right, and I appreciate you saying that, And but it's it can't be left out. It's always, you know, there's all these practical missing pieces um but you know we do believe in the holy spirit we know that the holy spirit is going to take care of us but we're the instruments you know we're the ones that have to be part of this um collaboration co-workers in the vineyard if you will that are going to help to form the intentional disciples uh in our churches in our diocese in our world. Um, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, I think there's nothing more exciting to me. <laughs> but, and, uh, but, uh, Dr. Reschenow, that yeah. point though, I think is, is a critical point that gets lost on people because, you know, you hear this all the time that, you know, it's left to the Holy Spirit, it's left to the Holy Spirit. It's, it's, it's but the Holy Spirit, it's not magic. It doesn't happen by magic. It happens through disciples as instruments. And that's why what we're talking about can happen and should happen and will happen in these groups in, in parish life. Um, and, and, and to go back to one of the early things that was said about, about training and education um, so that people are made aware of it just just like what was said at the very beginning of this conversation i too am one of those people that went to catholic school my whole life involved in my parish my whole life i did all of these things but i i didn't really i still didn't understand my faith i didn't really understand what discipleship was mm -hmm. and and but that comes from relationship that comes from the relationships that are built in these small groups and in these ministries and the kind of things that we all are going to be involved in at parish life is where this happens. That is where this magic happened for me 25 years ago by being, by being asked to join parish outreach. And what I actually joined was a small group of Catholic people who were so inspirational uh, and the work that they did and the conversations that we had while we were doing that work, that's where, that's where the light came on. And mm -hmm. that's, and that's where, that's why it is so important that this, this idea of pastoral minute, and you, you'll, as you'll see, Dr. Eschen, now this is exactly what I wrote my paper on. So, um, I can't but, wait to read them. But it is, it is. And so it's, so I think the thing we need to focus on is how do we actually do this in parish ministry? Um, and, and, the, and the missing thing is because, here's the missing thing is, is the why of discipleship and the why of, of our faith, uh, you know, and what the Catholic Church does a lot of is the who, what, when, where, and how 
of it. And there's a lot of facts and a lot of things that are throwing at you and all this other kind of stuff. But the contemplation never happens for, for it didn't happen for me for years to really understand the why. And if you're searching for the why, that takes you deep. And if you go deep, that's when you start to build this relationship with Christ, this relationship with God, this understanding, this communication and dialogue that comes at you, that you take the time to listen and contemplate and then put into action. That's what you then start to share. And you share that over time. Mm -hmm. And it, you know, one other thing I'll say that I think is critical, yeah. something we're working on in Brooklyn, is, is, that, is that finding that place for you in parish life. My parish out here in Long Island, we have, I think, 56 ministries in our parish. We're a large parish, 5,000 families. We have about 56 ministries. There is a place for everyone. And one of the things we're trying to work on is how do you how do you help people discover their charisms and then discover and then realize where that charism belongs? Mm -hmm. Because when you do that, then you really are inspired in your work. You're, you're loving doing it because it is your charism. And so you've discovered this purpose and you've discovered all this one and you've discovered this wonderful people. And there might only be three or four or five of them. Mm -hmm. But that's where that's where this formation of discipleship happens. It happens in those kinds of experiences. Because I look, I'm a media guy my whole life. And so I always think of reach, gotta reach, gotta reach as far as we can go. I was never a believer in small Christian communities until until I started to discover it for myself and started to discover the power of it. Mm -hmm. All right, sorry. No, it's wonderful. So what I'm hearing, and then we'll take a break, uh, what I've heard from a lot of you, there, there's gaps in our own lives. And I think part of um, our, our task is how do we avoid the gaps? And by that I mean, um, if we just look at a typical family, um, they they maybe go to Catholic school or not go to religious ed. All right, receive their first communion, a gap. Prepare for confirmation, a gap. Then there's the big gap. And then they come for marriage preparation and don't understand the sacrament of marriage. So we have to start all over. You see what I mean? Then there's a gap. They have their first child and they come for baptism preparation for their child. We have to go through what baptism means and all of that. So my, my thing has always been, how do we avoid these gaps so that when the couple comes to prepare for marriage, what the sacrament of matrimony is, it's understood and part of their life. You, you see what I mean? It's just something that's part of family life to understand that and baptism that when they come to the baptism of their first child it's not like they don't know anything about baptism so i on the pastoral level have experienced these kind of gaps that need to be avoided i think and i think that's a tall order but i think it's it's necessary how do we instill in people this what somebody said early this way of life that is continuous, that doesn't have all of these gaps there. Um, because it's like, 
you know, we get to what, whatever it is, 30s, 20s, 30s, 40s, and then all of a sudden, you know, certainly I think that we are called to go deeper all the time. Um, but that doesn't mean that we're not in tune with it. We're going to deepen our discipleship, but we knew what it meant. And we knew that what our baptism meant, but that's not the case in, in, a, in a lot of people's lives. Not all. Uh, there are some very deeply deep people that this is in their blood. I have met them. But in, I'm speaking uh, generally now, that how, how do we look at trying to avoid the gap between marriage and baptism and then first communion and confirmation? Got to look at things a little differently so that it's much more effective. So I think before we end for a break, I think one of the things that we need to, to contemplate really is how can we do what we do better to avoid this in the future for future generations you know that um that uh, our catholic christian faith is is something that is um a way of, basically a way of life the way it was for the early christians that it enters into the marketplace it enters into every facet of where we go, you know? So that's uh, a lot that you uncovered, and I appreciate everybody's contribution. Um, uh, one question uh, that has nothing to do with pastoral ministry, but then we'll take a, a little break. We need a stretch break. It's 8.20. But um, um, I haven't heard from Bob Levy does any of his brothers in the diaconate know if he's okay? I reached out to him via text. He has not responded. Okay. All right. Bye -bye. Uh, thank you. I appreciate it. I'll follow up with him because I know, you know, I just want to be sure he's okay. All right. So it's 8.20. Is 10 minutes enough for a break? Yes. I'll see you at about 8.30. Okay. Thanks, everybody. See you in a little bit.
music uh, years ago or so die and leave our church three and a half million dollars he uh he went to church every week and put an envelope in the basket every week and no one knew him come to find out he was an orphan raised by the sisters and never married so this man was alone his entire life came to church every week put an envelope in a basket and nobody knew him wow and he left three and a half million dollars to our church well thank god for that <laughs> It's just a, it's just the sad part of the yes. economy of scale problem we have with the church. We have 4,200 families in our parish. Uh -huh. 4,200 families. Who would think that is a good idea? You would need 400 priests in order to serve that many people. Well, um, you know, I worked in the parish that had 6,000 families. 6,000. And we had that... You know, last week, that model, that relational model yeah. of we had experts working, uh, laymen and women, some sisters working with the pastor. And it was our jobs to reach out to all in our, ex, you know, whatever our area was to make sure that all of those 6,000 families were known and taken care of. Um, so it requires more than the pastor, more than the priest to yep. make that. Yep. Yeah. And the place to see the, the time to see the priest is Sunday, obviously. And, um, you know, again, with all, you know, priests need to um, make that contact with people, whether it's standing outside the church. We used just to have it set up. Our pastor would set it up. That every one of the priests, and it was being it was a large parish, we had um, probably four parish priests and some in residence. But the point I'm making here is that at every mass, the pastor made sure that all of the priests on a Sunday morning and a Saturday night were assigned to a door. That as people walked out, they were greeted by a priest in the parish because Sunday was the day people would see the priest. During the week, people would see me or sister so-and-so or somebody else, uh, primarily. So we it, it requires a lot of effort in thinking outside the box and uh, creativity to figure out ways, how do we reach this amount of people in large parishes, you know? One thing that Zoom has done, doctor, is I don't know anybody, whether they're, you know, 15 years old or 80 years old, that does not know how to get on Zoom and use a computer now. That's absolutely so true. Now all of the programs like Formed and all of the rich amount of digital media that's out there, there's really no excuse now. You can find your way. Um, so that's something that's new. That's, you know, you've got people that are 75 years old with a flip phone know how to get on Zoom now. That's that's absolutely true. And if you remember the first or second week, uh, Stephen Nyer made the point of how during the pandemic, the priests where he is in the oratory, in the oratorio made phone calls, right, Stephen? Uh, you know, and that's something that could be done all the time. Yes, you're right, Paul, because I think uh, during the pandemic, with all of you, 
I think more most people are watching Mesh than before. Well, that that's true, and we need to find ways that uh, once this pandemic is over that people understand that watching mass is watching mass it's not participating in and there's gonna uh, you know it might require catechesis that it's wonderful to have live streamed i mean i rely on it relied on it as well but people need to understand that watching mass is watching mass it's not it's not participating so there's going to have to be another, you know, a way when this pandemic is over. And, if, you know, right now, you know, people are, there's no, the obligation to attend Mass on Sundays uh, not there now during this time. But um, it, people, we need a lot of outreach when this pandemic is over. And what I'm praying for is that the, there's a lot of meaning in this pandemic, and it's going to bring people back. Well, the last story, uh, Dr. Eschenauer, when, when uh, Father O'Reilly, I was talking to Father O'Reilly in the hallway one day, and he told me, I think it was his first year as dean, that Cardinal Dulles became on faculty. Okay, there you go. So he had Cardinal Dulles in his office <laughs> talking about his his lesson plan and he was father O'Reilly said he was like whatever you want <laughs> whatever. Not, just do what you're gonna do it was very funny for that's, a very, very, that's good priest to have Colonel Bellis as one of your, uh, your faculty. yes your faculty that's right whatever you want Cardinal <laughs> that's good that's very good all right so so far so good it's making sense you know, the one thing I want to say here, because we are talking, which might seem very theoretical. I mean, all theology, it's theoretical unless we make it um, a reality. And by learning all of this and being involved in, in this program and, and studying in a systematic way, and I'm speaking from experience here. We need to take what we learn and figure out ways to do it, to bring it to others. I mean, that's the whole point, you know, that um, and certain things are going to hit you more than others, but you want to remember them and you're going to. And I guarantee that uh, as students in the seminary, um, at St. Joseph's as MA students, all of you, in no matter what capacity you are involved in now in your parishes, you can, you are better at it than before you were a student. I am sure of it, and I know that by experience, that everything that you learn in all of your courses, you are going to bring. Uh, to what you are doing in a parish. And that's and that's the point here of this course, is first of all to understand what it means to be a pastoral minister, what ministry means, and um, in and through that, um, we can figure out how to do it. And that's not an, it's not magic, it's not overnight, it's a, a law, it's a process. 
of how can we make this a reality. So it's through exploring the problems, the obstacles, the difficulties, uh, different parishes, and as I said, where we will look at that in a couple of weeks, uh, studying your own parish, and uh, what Chris Greer might do in his parish is going to be different than what Rock is going to do. You know, a, a different approach. Uh, but technically, basically, uh, the tasks are the same and the goals are the same, you know? But this is to give you a language. Um, it's to give you um, awareness of, of the vision, etc. Uh, so I just, you know, want you to know that because uh, a lot of it does seem very theoretical, but I teach this course not only because of my scholarship in this field, but because of over 22 years of experience doing it. Um, so, um, and knowing that it can, it can be done in, in different um, types of parishes as well in different ways. So I appreciate, oops, I'm sorry, I'm stepping on a wire here. Uh, I appreciate all of your engagement. This is very important to this course. So um, let's move on. We have about 45 minutes of class time, but uh, just moving on now, <clears throat> connecting this idea of vocation to discipleship um, is primary. Um, let's see. Um, in other words, ministry is an expression of discipleship. And in your text, she does, the author Kathleen Cahallon does a very good job of, of talking about these topics. So um, the way of discipleship is to make Jesus's way our own, all right? And it's not so much like that common expression you hear, what would Jesus do? I never really was a fan of that, but rather, how can, and this is a quote from uh, Kathleen, how can we be as free and as faithful to God in our day as Jesus was in his? See, so it's not so much, well, what would Jesus do? But what would Jesus want us to do today in 2021 in our parishes? It's more, it's just a little nuance on that. What would Jesus do? That used to be like a real catchphrase. Kids used to wear it on their bracelets and all of that when I was in parish school. But the way of Jesus is the way of servant leadership, leading from the middle, what we talked about last week, inviting people to change their way without force, inviting them. Jesus never abused his power. Um, genuine discipleship, you can see this up on the screen, is living the spirit of Christ. Uh, and quoting from St. Paul, but we have the mind of Christ. So, so you see here, we're, we're getting, uh, we're going into this a little bit more deeper now. 
to have the mind of Christ as a disciple is very important. It's all about our thoughts. You know, our thoughts are very important and we need to really look at that. And I think today's gospel really um, uh, pushed at that issue. We have to really get at our thoughts and examine our thoughts all the time. Um, that we, our goal really needs to be in a prayerful way of what will lead us to have our thoughts more attuned with acting the way Christ is uh, calling us to act. In other words, to have the values of Jesus and um, responding um, to the needs of our time uh, as well. Um, but it's, it's, it starts, it's got to start with us as the pastoral minister. You see, again, what I said before, recognizing and understanding discipleship for ourselves, and then we can help people uh, to do it as well. Um, so, as I said here, and it's right here on the screen, ministry is an expression of discipleship. So, as, minister, as those, minister, as pastoral ministers, we need to really embrace um, our discipleship. Uh, that um, by virtue of our baptism, we are part of this. Um, I just wanted, this is an aside, but, um, and I think the book is on your bibliography. I don't have it in front of me, but it's written by Father Richard Gula, G-U-L-L-A. It's called Just Ministry. And he says, um, a faithful pastoral minister informed by the spirit and vision of Jesus is one that is inclusive of all that deals with others as persons and not as customers you know in our consumer society it's easy to look at it that way but everybody comes with their own story and we need to accept that and embrace it uh, there you know um, and, that, and then he continues, and that exercise a nurturing and liberating power in imitation of God's ways with us. So, in other words, again, an example from my own experience. I used to, I had a staff um, of my own in the parish that I worked in, just a small staff of three people. But I used to tell them when people came in, and this was for catechetical purposes, when people came in, whatever story they ha they had, that each one, me and my staff included, we had to know that we were Jesus for that person that day. Because people, as you know, come in with various stories and circumstances. And how we treat them really is going to make a difference. So I would say to my staff, um, you need to be Jesus for everybody who walks through that door and you encounter um, that day. In other words, um, borrowing from this quote by Father Gula, we, we need to be very nurturing in that. Um, really be imitators of Christ in everything that we do. Because Jesus did this in his preaching of basically the kingdom. And all scripture scholars agree that was his main message. The kingdom of God is within you. 
In other words, my father offers this presence to all. And so we need to do that for others. And there's no exceptions to that, no matter what their story is when they come. Um, so then uh, father also continues in, in this uh, uh, book. He says the criteria for discipleship is to be able to make room in one's heart for everyone. You know, we can't be selective of who comes through the door on a given day uh, when we are working in ministry. And especially to be ready to stand on the side of those who are the weakest and the lowest in society. Authentic discipleship, he writes, is to manifest in our ministry what Jesus manifested in his, a life centered on God, inclusive of all people, and standing in right relationship with everyone. It's a tall order, and sometimes that's harder to do, hard to do in our own family. <laughs> and you know, and that's where we start, and then we go into the family of our parish, uh, the church, our ministry. Uh, but this is the call uh, to discipleship, okay? So see, I've introduced you to a lot of uh, the, the books on your bibliography tonight that you might be interested in someday looking at. Uh, here in the introdu introducing the practice of ministry, uh, your text, Kathleen Callan, deals with vocation and discipleship in chapters one and three. Uh, many of you have probably already read those chapters, um, but if not, you should read them. But in chapter one, basically, she says, in um, uh, chapter one, it's the call and practice of Christian discipleship, right? Um, I think I have a quote on the next page. Yeah, page three, she says, disciple is clearly the most prevalent term to identify followers of Jesus in the New Testament. It's mentioned about 260 times in the Gospels and Acts of the Apostles. Disciple literally means a pupil or learner and was used in ancient times to de designate a follower of a great leader, one who follows after and one who learns. Okay? And she continues um, and she talks about those who physically follow Jesus. And you know, we've recently read in our in the Gospels, you know, how Jesus, you know, called people and they literally dropped everything and just followed him, you know? Um, but those who take up a way of life that Christ embodies and teaches are disciples. Those of the way are the words used in the Acts of the Apostles, and I cited um, the places. And I love this in Acts 11. Uh, um, uh, this disciples belong to the household of Christ. Um, and basically, um, disciple describes Christian identity. Our identity as the baptized is that we are disciples of Jesus Christ, first and foremost. Uh, and your textbook really does go into more depth about this, but I'm just picking out some key points. 
So this Christian identity, which is rooted in relationship to Christ, decides to belong to the household of Christ. I just, uh, I embrace that um, phrase um, very much so. We find here that same pattern that we called, we talked about prior to tonight um, and earlier as well, that call and response. We're all called, but we don't all respond, you know? Um, but that's, that's the task here, call and response. That's the pattern. God calls and we either respond or we don't. But the hope, the prayer is, is that we do respond. Um, discipleship involves both a personal and a communal relationship. You know, um, the thing about baptism, uh, which is extremely important, uh, baptism is about a relationship with Christ, but it's also a relationship with the community, the mystical communion that Avery Dulles talked about. So being, um, we're in relationship with Jesus Christ. We, some of you talked about that, uh, how relationship is so important. Yes, with Jesus Christ, but also with each other. It, that's extremely important. And we're not gonna get that by watching TV uh, on day. Now, the going to mass and the being with each other and the praying with each other and the talking with each other afterwards is all part of it. Because when it gets down to it, if you really think about it, um, we need each other in our faith. You know, it's, 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 it's on a personal level, it's me and Jesus. But the Roman Catholic Church has always believed that it's also about the community. Um, that we are there for each other. See how they loved each other. And, and I need you to help me strengthen my faith and vice versa. And that's why we all need to gather at the Eucharist every Sunday to be nourished together um, in word and sacrament. So it's, it's very, very important um, to this identity as disciples. And, and also, you know, this whole idea of identity, who we are, first and foremost, do we wake up in the morning and remember that we are the baptized? Is the first thought on our mind, thank you God for letting me open my eyes this morning. You know, I am so thankful for being uh, you're a child of God. You know, that's our identity. And this is what we need to teach people so that we don't have those gaps. That throughout a person's entire life, from, uh, to quote the documents, from womb to tomb, that they will know their identity as being a child of God. It's not always the reality. But again, I think it's our, one of our tasks is to make people aware of this. You know, I was thinking during the break, in light of everything that everybody contributed, of which I'm very grateful. But if we all think about it, there probably is somebody in your life that influenced you to bring you to where you are now. You know, we could probably all go back and think of somebody all in every stage of our life, whether first it was a parent or a friend 
or a priest or a sister or somebody in our life that influenced us so much that we were able to say, I want that. You know, so that's something you could you can think about and contemplate um, on your own. Um, but I um, and you might be that person for somebody else um, as well as. Um, all right. So far, so good. All right. So. Uh, so here we go. Discipleship in relationship to ministry again. Uh, this is all in your textbook. Um, but this whole thing, this is what Kathleen Cahallon is getting at in these chapters. Um, discipleship, we're all disciples by virtue of our baptism. Some of us know it, some of us don't. But that leads to this whole idea of response, call and response, and that some of us are called to ministry you see so this this is is what she's getting at here uh in those chapters um she refers to discipleship as the self-identity and shared common calling to all members okay by virtue of baptism uh disciples uh Discipleship begins in baptism. Vocation is a distinctive calling arising from discipleship through the Spirit's gifts or charisms. This goes back to what um, Lucas was saying. And we don't want to forget that, that the Holy Spirit has a role in this, that that we receive in baptism we can never forget we're baptized in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit right so the spirit i was just teaching this to the seminarians in the course i teach on confirmation but you know the trinity father son and holy spirit we receive that in baptism and it doesn't go away and come back at confirmation so the point here is that through our baptism, the Holy Spirit is alive and active in our life. People need to know that. People need to know it. And it's because of the Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit that we receive through baptism that are strengthened in confirmation, and we're gonna talk more in detail about this next week, that we respond in a particular way um, with vocation. And then ministry is a distinct vocation among many vocations that exist within the Christian community. And um, on page 50, I think it is, I'm, I'm jumping ahead here, here it is. Here it is, right here what I just said, you have it on your notes, discipleship, vocation, ministry. So everything I just said is outlined on your notes, so you have it. And here is what I'm getting at now. Um, the author of your text says, ministry is the vocation of leading disciples in the life of discipleship for the sake of God's mission in the world. And somebody, I think Anthony said it, yeah, at the end of Mass, we're all sent forth to do this. 
you know, but we have to help people to realize it and recognize it, what that means. And that's where catechesis and liturgy come together, you know? And, and we'll talk about this later on, but we have the ritual texts of our church. For example, the Eucharist, the Mass, right? But we need to do, you know, some of you have taken scripture um, and you've done scriptural exegesis, meaning pondering of the meaning, you know? Um, really real reflection on the meaning of scripture. We do that in our prayer in Lexio Divina, for example. I think you're all familiar with that. But, and I'm speaking as a, a liturgist and a teacher of liturgy, and I spoke to the seminarians about this yesterday. There's um, one scholar that I recently did some continuing education with, but he refers to liturgical exegesis, meaning we take the words of the mass and we can all do that. We can open up the Roman Missal and, and it's reflecting and pondering on every prayer we pray. Every prayer, every dialogue, the Eucharistic prayer, it's all there. Everything is there for the meaning of, of our identity as Catholic Christians. But we don't do that. But we need to help people to do that. Um, so the meaning of the Eucharist, for example, is all there. Just look at the prayers that we pray every Sunday. It's all there. And in the end, we're sent forth. Just like the apostles in the uh, Jesus sent forth the apostles. Well, we are too by virtue of our life as disciples. So um, it's, it's all there. And then we're, it's not for this class, but for example, in my class with the seminarians, we looked at the ritual text of the sacrament of confirmation. And the meaning of confirmation, for example, is in the prayers that are prayed during the celebration of confirmation. You see, the theology is there but we don't reflect on the ritual texts of, of our church. And we need to do that because everything is there. Um, so we need to, um, that's a good adult ed uh, project for somebody to take the ritual text, start with the mass and do a real exegesis of it uh, and help people to understand what it is. You know, just take the line in mass, your sacrifice and mine. Do people realize it? That the priest, it's priest sacrifice and mine that we are bringing forth here on this altar, you know? So anyway, I, I digress a little bit, but I think I, I, think I made a point, <laughs> I hope. <laughs> Uh, I love this. This is so great. You don't know how it energizes me. I was so tired before. It's a little, little comic relief. And I said to my husband, who is, you know, I told you he's been ill, so he hasn't been able to do some things. But I said, oh, I'll do that after class. And then I said, oh, I'll do that after class. He said, to, and I was very tired today. So he said to me, you're going to do a lot after class. I said, because I'm going to be wide awake after class. 
<laughs> and so I'm going to be able to order food, take out the garbage, do this, do that, whatever, because you energize me and all of this, just talking about it energizes me. So I, I appreciate that. And I thank you for that as well. So, um, so I think it's clear that the practice of ministry is rooted in something very deep and something more. So um, thoughts, comments, questions, ideas, just like before, talk to me. Dr. Eisenhower? Yes. This is Steve. Um, yes. You know, it's, it's interesting because just the other day, um, I was admiring what some of the Pittsburgh oratory does on social media, and I was sharing with uh, my oratory and spiritual director. But um, and each oratory is very independent, so like there's a connection, but there's no connection all at the same time. Uh-huh. Um, and one thing I saw recently was, which actually we haven't missed it yet. So if anyone's interested, this Saturday from 7 p.m. to 8:30 p.m. And I think Pittsburgh is in our time zone, right? Yeah. Yes, it is. I have a good friend who is the director of music at the Cathedral St. Paul. Oh, wow. So they're having on Zoom what they call Scola Christi. And, and the title of this one is Reality. This is my body. This is my blood. And they're using a book of meditations, uh, Meditations Before Mass by Romano Guardini. Now, I yes. Yes. I have to say, I wasn't really familiar with this, but I started looking at it, and, uh, you know, these little meditations about the parts of Mass were given by Monsignor Guardini to his own flock to help them understand what they were doing at Mass. Yeah. So I think this is really fascinating because, um, you know, just as you're saying, we, we go through, we come, we go through the motions, which I think is another problem, you know, when earlier we spoke about, like, why are, we're, we're kind of so, like, Oh, you know, people drag themselves into church and then they're running out as soon as they receive communion. And we always try to figure out why is that or what, what about the gaps? Yeah. And, you know, as so many uh, people commented earlier, part of it can be we don't really know what's happening or so many people don't understand. And, and, and who said it that if we understood what happened at Mass, there's some, I don't know if it was a saint, uh, but, you know, if we understood what would happen at Mass, nobody would ever um, dare to miss a Eucharist. Exactly, yes. Something like that. So I just yeah. think this is something yeah. very, very cool. Uh, actually, Dorothy Day said that. Dorothy Day, okay. Yeah, she did. Yeah. And and others, I'm sure, but that's a quote from uh, the writings to Dorothy Day. That's the one I'm thinking of, yeah. Yeah. So I think this is great. I saw a long time ago, I mean, this is probably 15 years ago, I saw in a, in a, in a Catholic grammar school, um, you know, out in the Diocese of Rockville Center, mm -hmm. um, where they were, I would say they were far advanced from, from any school that I was familiar with at that time. And when they celebrated a liturgy for the children, they would have their, you know, school mass with the whole school. But grade by grade, the, the priest or the pastor at the time would take the students into this chapel and celebrate mass with them, literally like on their level. You know, the altar was like two and a half feet off the ground and they were very close to the altar and they could see and, you know, and he would explain, he would stop and pause and say, now I'm, you know, 
pouring water into the wine, and this is why I'm doing it. That kind of okay. thing. Okay, I'm a liturgist. Sorry. I, yeah, no, I understand. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. Um, but I think there's there's. That's that's what's called uh, uh, Stephen. If I can interrupt for a minute, liturgical catechesis is extremely important. Mm. Yeah, understanding. Um, yeah, why we go? I used to do a thing with this parent group I worked with. Why we go to mass, and we went through each part. And yeah. mass attendance increased mm -hmm. uh, tremendously. But go ahead, continue, please. This is terrific. Well, that's really that's all. That's all I was thinking. Yeah. Just when when I heard you say that, it reminded me that recently yeah. I saw this. It's on, like I said, it's on Zoom. If you find the Pittsburgh Oratory on there. You know what? I wrote it down. I'm going to look yeah. it up because uh, uh, Romano Guardini, he wrote the original, The Spirit of the Liturgy. Uh, as we know, uh, Pope Benedict XVI, as Joseph Ratzinger wrote a book with the same title. But uh, Romano Guardini uh, in Belgium was part of the early liturgical movement in Europe. And it was Virgil Michael, uh, a Benedictine monk in Collegeville, Minnesota, who went to study uh, philosophy in Belgium and sat up the entire night and read Guardini's book, The Spirit of the Liturgy, and it changed his whole life, that he came back to the United States and became what is known as the father of the liturgical movement in the United States in like the early 19th century, uh, 20th century, like 1920s. And he was extremely instrumental, but it was really uh, uh, Guardini that inspired him. So that I'm gonna look for that. I'm very interested yeah. in that. I know I'll put a link in the chat box because I'm looking at it and there's a link, it's kind of like a little bit long, but I'll put it in the chat box. Okay, great. Um, That'd be terrific. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for that. Any other thoughts or comments or questions? Something that makes absolutely no sense? <laughs> well, I do want to comment. I'm, yes, please. And I'll tell the class. So we're expecting a baby. Congratulations. <laughs> yes, and I'm so happy. And now that you were going through the sacraments, I'm like, okay, like, what sacraments are there for me? But I'm like, no, like, now it's going to be baptism for the baby. Mm -hmm. So, like, that's something that I really want to do before the baptism is look at the actual ritual text. So the day is not a surprise. Beautiful. I can, like, meditate on it so I can pray on it and, like, see what's going to happen the day on. That is so great. That's so great. Now, if you don't mind me asking, I think you said your baby is due before this class is over? Uh, yes, April 6th, right after Easter. Okay, so um, I basically uh, knew that before, but I'm going to get her through it, but that'll be so great. We'll be so happy to share that yes. with you. There'll <laughs> be two of us by the end of class. Okay? Yes, that's, that's going to be so great, and I hope you'll zoom back in with your little baby in your arms. Yes. When, when you're ready. So thank you for sharing that. And we hope, we wish you good health uh, throughout the rest of your time. But thank you. Thank, thank you. you. <laughs> That's good. You'll all be in our prayers. Yes. Any other thoughts, uh, questions, concerns? 
I know some of you have to finish your paper or finish uh, reviewing it to send to me tonight, I hope, because I've already set my weekend aside to grade. Okay? So. I've re I reset mine already. This is Daniel. I I've set mine already, so I don't know if you got it. I guess when you, when you get to your computer. Oh, Daniel, let me. Oh, you know what? Hold on one second. Let me. Oh, yeah, I see it. Yeah, I got it. I see it on my phone. Thanks. Good. I don't know what went wrong before, but but again, I want to reiterate to you all, if you send me an assignment and you don't hear back from me within hours, thank you, I've received it. You know I didn't receive it, okay? So, so reach out to me uh, because that's my style. You know, I follow up and I let you know that I got it. And then uh, once I grade it, I will send it back to you. And you'll have it, as I said, before we meet again uh, next week. And there's only two of you that asked for an extension for legitimate reasons. So, um, so uh, ministry basically is rooted in response. We're responding to the spirit acting within us. As Lucas said, that's really what it's all about. It's always God's initiative, but, but he leaves it up to, up to us. Do we respond or we don't? We, we have a choice. And we're all here tonight, we're all here in this class because we've said yes. And the, the key here is to, to say yes every day because we can choose next week to say, forget it, I don't want to do that. <laughs> this is too much, you know, but... Um, it's it, enough enough said so what i want to do I, I i hope you're reading the texts remember i said that i'm not assigning week by week just throughout the semester i'm relying on you as adult graduate learners to be reading at least the two texts that are required all right to have that background if you want to go to the bibliography that I have on the syllabus for just whatever interests you or to keep it for the future. Uh, that's why a bibliography is uh, included so that you have good resources at your fingertips. So next week uh, we're meeting, uh, even though it is Ash Wednesday, we are meeting. Um, but we're going to talk about the sacraments of initiation and ministry. Now this follows from what we started tonight, that discipleship is rooted in baptism, all right? So now we're going to talk about um, how the um, sacraments of initiation really are, um, what's the word I want to use, the foundation. I actually wrote a chapter of a book on lay ministry on this, that the sacraments of initiation, I firmly have this thesis that the sacraments of initiation are the foundation for ministry. It's because of baptism, confirmation, and Eucharist that we are able to make this response. And that's what we're going to focus on next week. Okay? 
so those of you, I saw a few of you just now. I can see my phone, Chris Greer, Daniel, Stephen, great. Rock, I have your paper. So those of you who have to finish up, I'm giving you a gift of 15 minutes and we're going to uh, close tonight. And we'll close, why don't we close again in honor of Father O'Reilly, who we laid to rest last Saturday, but we'll never forget him. Um, we will never forget him. And I know he's praying for all of you. Um, and I know he generally started his classes with a Hail Mary. So as we end tonight in his uh, memory and in his honor, let us end calling on the intercession of Our Lady. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Joseph, pray for us. Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful week. Uh, God bless you all. And I look forward to seeing you next week. Okay. Thank you. Have a good night, everybody. I, I really look forward to reading your papers. <laughs> Thank you.